Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle for men. I'm Dr. Ewan Larson and today what I want to do is just go through a little bit of a personal update and reflect a little bit on some of the interviews I've had in the last three episodes or so. Uh, Show notes for today's episode as ever at blokeology.io forward slash 029 in this case. I think the idea today is I just want to keep it very simple. Um, I perhaps want to just give you a bit of a chance to understand that we talk about all these things and ways you can live your life a little bit differently, whether it's related to alcohol or exercise or your mental health. But actually putting it all together into a single package is not at all easy. And I just want a little bit of time to reflect on those that we've already covered. There's a real risk with modern life that we're always chasing the next thing, always looking for something smarter, bigger, better, more clever. And actually, sometimes all that's required is to actually look at what we've got, think about it a little bit and take a little bit of time out. So now it's a bit of an opportunity. If you haven't listened to those episodes already, um, the, what, the three that I'm going to concentrate on are really the last three related to um, alcohol with Phil Kane in episode 26, uh, mental health with Andre, Andre, I should say, Tomlin uh, in the last episode, episode 29, and also with Peter Francis, a sports scientist, talking about training and habits and injury uh, back in episode 27. Um, I really recommend those episodes. I think there's lots of good stuff in there, lots of good advice about, you know, the lifestyle factors of alcohol, physical exercise, developing good habits, and also thinking about mental health and evidence. And so I just want to spend a bit of time reflecting on that. Um, Before I go on to that, I just wanted to to tie that in to, um, uh, I was at a conference last week, I was at the Royal College of GPs conference up in Glasgow, and it's always nice to be back up in Scotland. One of the things that I'm very aware of is I have mixed feelings about conferences. I like being away. It's in so far as it's quite exciting and you get to, you know, do, you, you get to involved in whether it's seminars or lectures or workshops, talking about stuff. It's a chance to reflect, hear new ideas, talk them through with colleagues. I'm not actually that keen on being away from home these days. I find it relatively hard and disruptive. And maybe that's a product of my age being in my 40s, but I'm not the only person who goes away from conferences and comes away feeling a little bit exhausted. I think part of that is that, you know, though I can, I do a podcast and I I have appeared on kind of radio and other things at times, I'm really quite introverted and I find talking to people, I, I, I mean, I enjoy it, I've got no problem with it, but I find it really tires me out. And so like many people, I find conferences a really exhausting experience. And I often partway through just feel a little bit crushed by the whole experience. I don't feel well. I feel really tired out and I come home generally exhausted and it takes me a few days to recover and get back into my normal routine. And I'm sure lots of people have that experience. And so I tried a couple of different things at the conference this time. Now, one of the things I always try to do when I go away is get some exercise and I'll throw my running shoes in and try and go out for a run. And actually Glasgow is really nice for that. You can run along by the river into the parks but I've got a calf injury at the moment and I've had a calf injury for about a month and it is gradually getting better. But the last thing I needed was to go out and do some uh, road running. That I mean, that's pretty much what set it off when I did some road running. And I, happened, I, I know that I just find that too attritional. It would break me down. But I did make a big effort. I was at a hotel, I had a gym and I made an effort to get in there both mornings. I got up a little bit earlier, went to the gym, 
uh, did some stuff on the cycle. And funnily enough, I can run on the treadmill fairly well. And I think that's probably something to worth bearing in mind if you have a calf injury. That I think the fact that the treadmill is passing underneath your feet, it stops you having to push off on your calves in the same way um, as you do when you're just running normally outside or um, indoors on the normal floor. So that I find that then my calf doesn't really get particularly irritated by it. So I can do a little bit of running on a treadmill, which is just nice, just, you know, a short amount just to kind of warm me up and get me going. And I also did a little bit of weights and a little bit of yoga. So I got plenty of exercise um, and didn't feel like I missed out. Uh, interestingly, I had my first go, I don't know if anyone's had a go at this. I had my first go on a Watt bike. So W-A-W-A-W-T, sorry, try that again. W-A-T-T bike, Watt bike when I was there which is supposed to be like the go-to kind of uh, cycle trainer. I found it a really unsatisfactory experience. I'm not sure what it was about it. I often use my turbo at home, which is just a little device for you can stick your road bike or your bicycle on and sit in front of a TV screen. And um, I use the uh, Sufferfest videos, which are just, you know, just as a way of engaging with uh, some content on the screen. And I find I can get through three quarters of an hour or an hour without too much pain. And it's a really good way to get some exercise when, you know, the weather, you just can't get out if it's snowy or icy or I'm I'm at home with the kids and I can't leave them. However, I found the Watt bike really unimpressive and they, they cost a lot of money. I think you're looking at like 1500 quid for something like a Watt bike. Anyway, that's by the by. Um, the other thing I really I did was I did some weights and I was able to do them again. And I use the five, and at the moment, I'm trying to stick to using free weights with the five by five strong lifts app. And it seems really sensible. It's got some, I, I think I've described it before, maybe when I've been chatting to in a previous episode to John Richmond. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes, but um, they've got a new subscription model. So I think it's a bit more expensive now. But um, the principles are really good. It's basically just three exercises that you do on a training day. Um, and it's either squats, overhead press, and deadlifts, or it's squats, uh, bench presses, and barbell rows which sound, if you've not done it before, sound complicated, but are quite easy to learn. And there are some good videos there. And they're quite compound exercises, which means that they, you know, you are, you're know, you not isolating a particular muscle group. There are lots of different muscle groups required to kind of do those exercises. And squats are a really good example of that. And they work an incredible number of the um, muscles in your body. And so in terms of building strength, they're really highly effective. So I did some of that. Interestingly, I hadn't done any for a couple of weeks. And I had really sore hamstrings afterwards, which just goes to show that I've had and I'm probably, I think it was probably the squats that so could have been the deadlifts, the deadlifts to some extent. And though I was careful with the weight in the deadlifts, I didn't um, deload with the squats as much as I should have done. The app guides you, it's really careful, it gets you doing the exercises, it gets you doing it in the really low weights initially, and then it gradually builds them up adding you know, just a small amount each time you go back in. So it's a really sensible way. It seems like a really effective way. I mean, if I could just get the habit and stick to it and do it more regularly, I'm really confident that's going to be really useful. Um, actually, I'm realizing that getting to the gym is something that I just don't like doing. I find it really difficult to go down to a gym where there are other people exercising and I really just want to be in the place on my own. So that's a real challenge. Um, and I'm recognizing that although I've fought against that this year and I want to do some weight training, I'm going to have to invest in a few weights um, and do them at home. Anyway, so I got into the gym and I got to the conference. So one of my keys this time going to the conference, getting back to that, was that I really wanted to make sure that I didn't feel quite as crappy as I have done in the past. So I got the exercise, that worked quite well. But the other thing I did was I was much more careful about what I ate. And partly that's because I've decided I just needed to use lose 
three or four pounds of weight. I just my weight has just crept up a little as it does all the various stresses and strains over the summer with family life and other things going on. Um, I just put a little bit of weight on. So I decided that I would just lose three or four pounds and I'm doing that by calorie counting and I use the MyFitnessPal app. Uh, I find that really effective. But um, it was really, I thought it's going to be a challenge going away because I'm not going to be in my usual routine in terms of eating. But actually I found it really helpful because it made me realize how I go, when I go away, how prone I am to eating rubbish and junk. And you don't really keep a track of it at all. And evening meals and snacking in between, I don't have access to healthy snacks. And I made a big effort to get along to one of the um, Tesco metros or whatever it is, like local supermarkets on the streets in Glasgow, get myself some fruit, get myself some healthy snacks. And I monitored it really carefully. Um, and it was it made a huge difference. I, I, I think I, I felt much less unwell generally. I didn't feel so, I, and I'm sure kind of overeating is a massive factor in feeling sluggish and generally rubbish when I'm away at conferences. So I found that really helpful. The one thing I did quite well on day one was have much less coffee uh, than I would um, often do at a conference because it's so easy to overindulge with coffee at these things. And that also leaves me feeling really shitty. And I just end up feeling tired and washed out and really kind of, you know, energyless. Um, I did quite well on day one. I didn't do so well on day two and, and definitely had more coffee than is generally good for me. Um, but overall, I kind of compared to my normal, I did quite well at a conference. The other thing I was careful of was I didn't go out in the evening at all. So I didn't socialize and I, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. I'd spent all day speaking to people about various things to the extent that I noticed I actually had a sore throat on the, um, the Thursday evening after day one. Um, and that's obviously a sure sign that you've been blethering too much. Um, but overall, certainly something I'm going to try to stick to for conferences in the future is, and I think, I guess, it kind of it mimics my routine at home. It's just about trying to eat about the right amount, trying to get that regular exercise, and just being careful to look after myself and get enough sleep. A lot of that can just go to hell when you go to a conference. Um, and the calorie counting thing really worked for me. And even if, if I might be tempted to do it, even if I'm not calorie, I only tend to do calorie counting for a month and I can lose like three pounds and I'm happy. But, um, I might actually do it when I go away to conferences in the future, just to or at least really be very wary about what I'm eating and what I'm getting into. One of the things that I've been very aware of in my conversations over the last uh, few interviews with the, the guys I've spoken to is that um, it made me realise just to a certain extent my own biases. And you kind of, you get so used to seeing the world from your own perspective and you get that reinforced by the people you hang out with. And it's all that kind of confirmation bias thing that people do is that you spend time, whether it's online or in person with people who share your views and they reinforce them. And it's a constant problem trying to break out of that and make sure that you're kind of actually considering the bigger picture. And uh, Andre in particular highlighted that, that I've got kind of particular views about evidence and actually not everybody shares them. That's not how everybody behaves and how everybody agrees we should be going about doing things. And I found that really interesting. But one of the things I found when I was away at the conference was I have certain ideas about what the right amount of physical exercise is. And I suppose in my life and with my wife and her, her friends, you know, a lot of those people there are very um, active people, you know, sometimes competing at a relatively high level as well in terms of their athletic ability. And so I might do three, and I saw a couple of GPs there and they were kind of, I was in my, interestingly, I was in a jeans and t-shirt and just a, an easy, relaxing, you know, casual fleece and they were in their suits. 
And one of them was very nice enough to say that I was looking well and looking fit um, and healthy. Um, and I think I, and I said, and I asked how much exercise I did. And I said, like, you know, I do four or five hours on average. And I, I kind of, I downplay that thinking it's not very much. And both of them are kind of like, you know, I, I guess they, they didn't, they laughed and that was, a, that was a lot of exercise. And I guess sometimes I forget that, you know, that really is compared to most people, I guess it's quite a bit. Now for me, it's something that I've taken years to get to, and it isn't a huge amount. I very rarely do over that significantly. But as, as Peter Francis said in his, we talked about this and I specifically gave him that figure of four to five hours. It's really important to bear in mind that you actually, you know, you do a relatively small amount, even if you do a nice start at just doing, aiming at a couple of hours or three hours in a week, if you do a relatively small amount, actually consistently, it is astonishing the results you can get from that. And he specifically said that in his interview, and I think he's absolutely right. You don't have to do a lot, even if you do an hour or two a week of exercise, if you can just keep on doing it week in, week out, whatever happens, rain, shine, you know, you got to allow a little bit for life's life blowing you around, but more or less just stick with it. That'll give you incredible results. Um, and it's the same if you're writing a book, you know, if you just do a few hundred words every day, actually um, that amounts to, an, that. you know, there's an enormous amount at the end of it. And the same thing applies to our fitness and our habits and building those habits are incredibly um, important. So it was a really revealing, I guess it was one of those conversations where I thought, actually, this is the bias. You know, yeah, this is just a reminder of that bias. Peter had reminded me of it in his interview, but it was just a reminder of speaking to people that about your assumptions about what you're doing. And it's always that risk as well that you kind of, I'm always like, oh, I'm rubbish. I don't do enough. You know, I'm never going to be able to do these. And I see people doing ultras. I don't do enough exercise for that. And I'm quite down on myself. But actually, we all, it's very easy to always be, worrying about what someone else is doing and actually just appreciating what I have and what I'm doing. Perhaps if you do the same, appreciating what you have and what you're doing is really often the most important thing. One of the things that I didn't do at the conference was have any alcohol. And I know that that can be a big factor for a lot of people that can be drinking and socializing and all that side of things. And as I said in the interview with Phil, Kane, okay, I've actually only had, um, I've had a single pint of beer in about a year now. I think I had a pint on my birthday, but apart from that, I've not had any alcohol. And it hasn't really been a deliberate decision. It's just something that I don't drink at home. I haven't been out to parties or the like. And so I've just really not, I've not got into drinking alcohol. But I think I really, I almost, but I also feel as well that now um, I helped someone out at the weekend um, driving their son to um, a local event because they were a bit hungover and couldn't quite manage it. And I was like, oh, you know what? I really just don't want that pain anymore. It's not for me. And I think the interesting thing about that Phil Kane was this, just remembering that social pressure that is still exists around drinking, that you can end up having to isolate yourself quite badly if you don't go out drinking and doing that socialising aspect. But the evidence does suggest that there's no healthy level of drinking. But Phil was also really good because I my temptation is to say, well, they don't drink, don't drink. If it's not healthy, don't drink. But actually, his point is very well made and he's very reasonable about this. But if you do drink, actually don't sweat it too much if you drink a, relative, a small amount because it's, oh, it is dose dependent. And at the lower levels of alcohol, the risk is really very small in terms of your health. It's, I mean, it, it's I'm not going to go as far as saying tiny, 
but you know it's it is small it's not going to if you're if you're drinking within the recommended limits 14 units a week your risk of coming to harm is relatively minimal and the less you drink uh, the less risk there is so those that have a couple of glasses of wine in a week yeah really there's very little in the way of significant risk attached with that but that is there the facts do suggest and the evidence the evidence does point towards the fact you are running an increased risk of your health but he was he reminded me that it's easy to be a bit po-faced about this and uh, come across as a bit of a curmudgeon and you just need to remember to keep the risk proportionate and actually although there's all this advice about this is bad for you that's bad for you a lot of it is dose dependent and you know therefore you know don't stress too much so that was a good le- a good lesson an important lesson as well for me um, not that I rushed out and had a drink because I'm just not really in that place where I fancy it much anymore. But um, I'm going to be a bit more relaxed about it in terms of um, the future. I'm not going to. I'm not deliberately setting out to not drink anymore. But equally, if it comes along and I have one or two, I'm not going to stress about that either. Uh, and so, in last week's episode, I had Andre Tomlin who was talking about mental health and postnatal depression. And again, that kind of just challenged some of my preconceptions around this. He was talking about that the thing I've already said about people remembering about evidence, and he also talked about his impression. Um, his experience, I should say, of postnatal depression. And gosh, he had a really bad experience with the GP. You know, someone that didn't really listen to him, pushed a, a as Andre said, it was a PHQ-9, and that's a, um, a basically a questionnaire with nine questions on it, which we've often used in the past for helping identify people who have depression. So he pushed the questionnaire at him, and then he pretty much said he couldn't help him, and there wasn't too much he could do. Um, at all. So, I mean, obviously that's a really bad consultation. I, I kind of, I perhaps didn't emphasize enough that actually one of the things that it made me think as well was, um, made me worry about the health of the doctor. Now I've talked about this. I've got certainly going to planning to have a conversation with Adam Staten in the near future about burnout in the healthcare profession, but you you meet very few people, very few students and very few junior doctors and people who are feeling okay. And even people who are not feeling okay, who would regard that as a the way they wanted to behave, the way they wanted to be as a doctor. So the doctor's not sitting there being deliberately being an arse and, you know, just treating people that come in with contempt. You have to suspect the doctor is in a pretty bad place. Um, now, again, that doesn't justify poor care. It's not, you know, it's not an excuse, but we all, you know, all equally, there's an, such an important thing we have to do in terms of looking after healthcare professionals and watching out for burnout. I've, I find it impossible to believe that doctor wants to be that kind of doctor, but um, they're in a pretty bad place at the moment as well. Thankfully, Andre obviously was able to access care um, in his community down in Bristol and has then got on and had a good experience. But clearly he's a, he's, you know, he's a very um, intelligent and knowledgeable guy and knows his way around mental health services. So that has certainly helped. But part of the problem is, even if you know your way around these systems, if you've got an illness like depression, actually you lack the motivation, you sometimes lack that kind of ability to go out and help yourself. So it's particularly alarming when people have bad experiences along those lines um, in the surgery. Um, Andre certainly seems to be doing all right now. And you know he's written some really interesting stuff around postnatal depression. And as I've said before, I just, you know, I knew about the mental health, mental health website for a long time, and I'll put the link in the notes. But if you're looking to do anything evidence-based around mental health, 
I, you know, I can't recommend strongly enough taking a look in there. Um, I used to write, it's not quite mental health, but certainly in that arena, um, about substance misuse years ago and do clinical updates for an organization called SMMGP, um, the Substance Misuse Management and General Practice Network. Um, and I did that for many years, and it was a really uh, kind of important bit of my um, development of understanding around evidence. Um, I did hear this week that um, the old archive is going to get put online. So those clinical updates, which I wrote for, I think it was six or seven years, every couple of months, are going to be available. Um, I'll pop the uh, link in the show notes for that as well. If you're into substance misuse, obviously, I'm going to recommend them. This is mostly around um, injecting drug users, but, you know, we dipped into all sorts of different substance misuse issues, whether it was alcohol, cannabis, uh, novel psychoactive substances, all that sort of stuff. It was all there. And I, I still really heartily recommend SMM. SMMGP is a really great place to, um, a great community and a great organization to interact with to help you with those sort of things. Um, so that just leaves me with Peter Francis and a kind of a, his interview to reflect on a little. And I thought one of the, the, the best thing about Peter was I just loved his practical and pragmatic approach to habit. I wouldn't underestimate how tough Peter is in terms of and how determined he is um, in terms of in the way that he uh, you know, his commitment to his exercise program for calf exercise is another thing. But if you've had any trouble with Achilles tendonitis, um, then that, you know, that process of eccentric calf strengthening is incredibly useful. In, in, I was speaking to another GP at the conference, um, and interestingly, he told me he'd had some Achilles tendonitis problems and immediately mentioned eccentric calf strengthening. And he'd been speaking to some people down in New Zealand, I think, about it, who'd said that pretty much it tends to burn itself out in 12 to 18 months, whatever you do. But it also makes you wonder if, you know, you can help yourself. And as Peter said, no such thing as a non-responder. If you can do those strengthening exercises, you're likely to be in a good place. Um, the running barefoot thing, I've mentioned that to a couple of people being really interested in it. Obviously, there's only a case study at the moment and Peter's own experience that um, of having plantar fasciitis then turning to barefoot running and discovering it really uh, solved the problem. Um, it'll be really interesting to see if that develops into something more. But the final message that I would have with Peter's is just his um, suggestion and his little quote that I'd put into a little short audiogram that um, what, if you want to achieve anything significant in life, sometimes all you have to do is you have to do the little things consistently on a long-term basis. And that is the pathway to whether it's physical health or you know, mental health with mindfulness or meditation, or whether it's lifestyle in terms of writing or your work, actually trying to build those little habits into long-term, uh, long-term outcomes is really where it's at, and, and enjoying the process as you go. Okay, so I think that's pretty much it from me. And uh, one thing I am going to mention is that I've started doing, which is quite interesting. I was chatting to John Richmond about it today over a coffee this morning. Is I've started doing some minimal journaling. And that's a really interesting thing. It was an article I picked up on Medium. I'm going to write a little bit more about that for the newsletter. Um, and I'm also going to talk a little bit about park run and lifestyle medicine in that. If you want to catch up with the newsletter, then you can subscribe at www.blocology.io forward slash journal. Uh, got a few more interviews lined up for the next few weeks. And so we'll get back into those from next week. We'll look forward to it.
Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can find the full show notes at www.blokeology.io. You can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blokeology at www.blokeology.io forward slash journal. Sign up and I'll make sure that I send you the Healthy Bloke Action Plan. It would be enormously helpful if you've enjoyed the show, if you've got anything out of it, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just leave a rating, that would be incredibly helpful. And any feedback is very welcome. And so you can leave comments, send email, or make contact via Twitter, Facebook, and the usual social media channels, all of which can be found at blokeology.io. Thanks again. Thanks again.